uh, we've been, so, so we walked for months through this overview of the Old Testament called the story. And Jesus, last week in Luke chapter 4, we saw Jesus stand up in front of the synagogue and unscroll, unroll the scroll to Isaiah 61 and, and read, The Spirit of the Lord God's upon me has anointed me to proclaim uh, good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives and liberty to the oppressed, the, the favorable year of the Lord. And then he, he rolls up the scroll, he sits down to preach, and he says, uh, Today this has been fulfilled uh, in, in your hearing. And, and as we're talking about uh, Luke, we're approaching this as, as seeing the story fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those campfire stories that we read in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and the promises and the hopes and the dreams of, of the entire Old Covenant. And, and, and the story of Jesus fulfills the story that, that, the, that the Old Testament was telling. And, and, uh, and uh, it's incredible that, that we have this ability to, to forget the good news. The good news is so good and yet we have the ability to, to, to connect it. So I have this need to kind of recalibrate and rehear, and I think we all do, and to be together and to, be, and to, and to remind each other of, of how good the good news is. So let's try to do some of that over the next few minutes. Um, the world is, is full of people. You probably noticed this. But the world is full of people who say one thing and do another. We, we picked up on this. Yes, one of the most frustrating things about people is, is that we say one thing, and often do another. It's one of the most frustrating things. And, uh, uh, and hypocrisy has been a blight on the church um, really since the beginning. I mean, you've got, you've got Jesus hanging out with, with 12, I mean, 12 disciples that he's just doing life with. I mean, doing life with them uh, every minute of every day. And he's constantly having to reframe the conversation like, no, guys, that's not the right thing to do. That's not, that's not who we are. Um, and, 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 and it's been a blight on the church. It's been a blight really on every human endeavor to do anything solid, to do anything of value, any human attempts to do good. And so we, we desire authenticity, and yet the mask is always close by, ready to put it on. And so every now and then, I get really caught up in, man, that guy over there is just really uh, a hypocrite. Yeah, that guy over there is just really saying one thing and doing another. And man, I can get really fired up about it. Um, and uh, then maybe I get caught up in, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there who is saying one thing and doing another. Um, and, and then eventually I'll catch a glimpse of myself doing the same thing. Anybody have this thing happen? Uh, and, and, and it's by the grace of God, I'll catch a glimpse of myself doing the same thing. Um, there's just something about the bentness of the human heart that we individually are bent, and even when we come together, we're bent. And there's something about the bentness of the human heart. Uh, it's not just in other people, but it's in me and it's in you, and we so easily turn to um, hypocrisy. Um, and, you know, and so if, as, as we gather this morning, if our faith is in, man, Trinity seems like a really good family. Trinity seems like a really good place. I bet they'll never do me wrong. I bet they'll never hurt me. I bet they'll never let me down. Okay, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Um, hey, that, that Matt, he looks like a nice guy. I bet, he'll, I bet he'll always do everything I want him to do. No, that's not, that's not, I've probably already blown that for 99% of the people in this room. If our faith is in, hey, if our faith is in, we're going we're gonna to do X, Y, and Z right all the time, then our faith is misplaced and we're going to be disappointed. But if our faith this morning is, is that there is someone who is not a hypocrite, 
There is some, I mean, we're going to struggle with this thing. And the messiness of just our bent humanity is going to continue to play out. And I'm going to let you down and you're going to let me down. And then we got to practice this thing the scripture calls forgiveness, confrontation and forgiveness um, and hopefully reconciliation. And, and, and that, that messiness is going to continue. But as, as, we, as, we, as we look at Luke 4 and, and Luke 5, Jesus spoke these amazing words about, I've come to preach good news to the poor and liberty to the oppressed and liberty to the captives. And so who would we expect him to go spend his time with? The poor, the captive, the oppressed. So if Jesus read that scroll and said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and then he just spent his time playing church or playing synagogue for the next few years, that would be really, really, really disappointing. But what we see play out in Luke 4 and 5 is Jesus goes and he invests his time and he spends his time with the very people he just read about. The very people he said he came to preach good news to, those are the people that Jesus spent his time with. And so, and so we are going to let each other down. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to expect the best from each other. But at the end of the day, we are going to fail each other. It is going to be messy at times. But the, the really incredible good news is there is somebody who's not a hypocrite. There is somebody that every time he is who he says he is. There's somebody who every time he does what he says he's going to do. And that's one person. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is not a hypocrite. He doesn't ever say one thing and do another. He is who he says he is. And that's incredible news. It's comforting news. It's challenging news. And so Jesus leaves the synagogue. And, uh, and we don't see him leave and say, hey, that was really fun, guys. Now let, let's go hang out with people just like us. He leaves the synagogue. And what we see is all these episodes to come of him bringing good news to the poor, Good news to the oppressed. Good news to the broken down. All right, Jesus preaches the life-transforming message that God is king here and now. Jesus doesn't come preaching one day. I mean, get your act together because one day God's going to be in charge. Jesus preaches this message. The kingdom of God is at hand. God rules now. God is king now. And we're going to see that play out in the lives of the poor and the broken and the oppressed, and even, and even the oppressors. Um, Luke 4, beginning in verse 21. Luke 4, uh, excuse me, 31. Luke 4, 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. I mean, people have been used to hearing the word of God um, tossed around and, and analyzed, but, but they hadn't heard somebody that just proclaimed God's word with authority, with truth, and with grace, and this, this power that Jesus does. And, and Jesus, obviously, he proclaims the word with authority because he is the word. He is the word made flesh. But if we desire to be the kind of people who, who are able to speak God's word to other people with authority... Um, Rather than seeking to be people who have mastered the word and have it all figured out, if we're going to be people who are going to speak God's word with authority, God's word has to master us. God's word has to master us. We've got to sit with passages like Romans 8 and Colossians 3 and Psalm 34, and we've got to let those passages, the big picture of the scripture and the, the small individual verses, we've got to let those come and conquer and master our hearts and our lives and our minds. And we are able to speak God's word with authority as God's word masters us. Okay, and so Jesus is speaking with authority, his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. Uh, the jury is out on if there's such a thing as a clean demon. 
but this is an unclean demon, okay? They're, they're not sure if there is a clean demon, but, but unclean demon, that seems a little bit redundant. But what Lucas is really, uh, I think, wanting us to see is just the, the spiritual force that has taken over this guy's life. Um, it's dirty, and it's unclean, and, it, and it's hostile to God, and it's keeping this guy separate from God. But where does Jesus encounter the guy? Where is he? He's in the synagogue. Okay, so we see, we see examples in the Gospels where Jesus finds the, the, de, the demon, demoniac out in the, in the, in the graveyard and, and stuff like that. But this guy is in the synagogue. And maybe he's been coming to the synagogue day after day, week after week, year after year, and nobody has ever had uh, this interaction with him where there's this authority to say, man, do you, do, you need to be set free. And that happens today. I mean, we, we come and we, can, and we can sit by each other and we can be in, in, in class together. But, but are, we, are, we, are we at the place where we can say, you know, you're acting a little demonic right now. Let's, uh, let's take authority over that. That's exactly what... So, so Jesus is preaching with authority. The man, the demoniac says, verse 34, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came down out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to each other, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits. And they came out and the reports about him went out into every place in all the surrounding region. And so, uh, you know, Jesus doesn't find this guy out in a gutter somewhere. This guy's sitting in church. This guy's sitting in the synagogue, okay? And and when when we're talking about demons, uh, there's kind of some extremes we take. Some of us say, you know, I had this, I committed this sin, it was a demon. I had this thought, it was a demon. I had a hangnail, it was a demon. And like, we want to say everything was a demon. Um, and then there's those of us over here that kind of say, oh, how cute that these first century people believed in demons. But, but now we know that there's no such thing as that. And yet both of those extremes are, are, are naive, okay? And, and, and Luke doesn't say that every sickness is a demon. It's not that he has no understanding that there's, there's, there's actual sicknesses out there. He doesn't say everything's a demon, but there are situations that are demonic. And so, and so if, if, if we... If we, uh, if we think that, you know, we don't want to be people that, that are, are looking for a demon under every circumstance. But guys, we also don't want to be people who are kidding ourselves and imagining that there's not a war going on, that there's not a, a reality of dark spiritual forces. And, and so as Jesus engages in miracles, the miraculous healings, the, the, the casting out of the demons, uh, what, there's more going on. He's not doing these things just to do them. These miracles and these extraordinary things Jesus does reveal his authority. They reveal that Jesus is the one with authority. He doesn't have to do a bunch of incantations and, and, and like say a bunch of, of, of things and, and go grab like special materials he just speaks the word and the guy's set free. Jesus doesn't have to appeal to a higher authority. He is the authority. And that's what Luke wants us to see here. Jesus is the authority over everything unclean, over all dark spiritual forces. These miracles point beyond themselves to a greater reality, and that is that God's rule and God's reign is at hand. And, and now Jesus is seated above all rulers and powers and authorities. And, 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 and you don't have to be scared of evil. You don't have to, to be sitting around wondering, oh, I wonder, I wonder uh, where evil's going to come at me from next. Actually, you need to be playing offense. God's, uh, God's given you the Spirit of God. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Like, go play some offense. Go. 
You want to be that person that, that, that the devil's scared of you, not the other way around, okay? Not because of you, but because Jesus has given you authority. Uh, miracles reveal that there's a cosmic battle going on. Jesus is fighting evil, and, and we see that bubble up. But notice that as Jesus speaks and preaches with authority, that provokes something in this demon. And this demon has great clarity about who Jesus is. He says, you're Jesus of Nazareth, you're, uh, you're the most holy one of God. And like the, the demon is clearer on who Jesus is than the humans in the room are. That's a little bit humbling, isn't it? That the demon has more understanding about who Jesus is than the people in the room that have been praying and studying the Scripture their entire lives. And they're staring at the answer to their prayer. They don't recognize him, but a demon does. But also, this is also extremely humbling and challenging. The demon knows the right information, but is not transformed. He's still an unclean demon. Okay, It's possible to have the facts rattling around in our minds. Rattling around... Uh, and, 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 and not be transformed. So the question we need to ask isn't, do I have the right information? We are in the most informed age the church has ever known. And we have some of the least transformed maybe we've ever seen. Okay, so am I informed? I mean, get informed. But the scripture doesn't say be, you know, be transformed uh, by, the, by getting more information. It doesn't say to be, in, be, be, be informed. It says be transformed. Okay, so, so not do I know everything but has God begun a transforming work in my heart, in my mind? Has God done something in me that's not me, okay? And so it's possible to know the right answers and be unchanged. So Jesus rebukes the demon, casts him out, and everybody's amazed. Wow, this is what happens. So this is what happens when Jesus comes to church, okay? Demons start flying out of people, okay? People, people's lives are transformed. But what happens isn't everybody stays exactly the same way they've been for 60 years. That doesn't happen when Jesus comes to church, okay? And so it's amazing when Jesus comes to church, everybody's amazed at this, this guy who, I mean, he, he had, had this demon fly out of him like the campfire story changed. I mean, can you imagine how different the lunch conversation was that day than it was on every other Sabbath day? Like, wow, we just saw a demon fly out of a dude and he was okay and it was amazing, when Jesus is at the center of what we do, the campfire story changes. It goes from being about, well, the preacher preached an extra five minutes today. Or, can, you, know, what, you know, what are they going to do next? You know, well, it was a little hot in there. That's not a signal, Ken. I'm just saying, a little hot in there today. And the campfire story becomes, can you believe what God is doing? Can you believe? We saw an addict get set free. We're, we're walking with people that are they're having thoughts of self-harm and, and, and we're able to, 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 to see, to encourage this person, help this person see that, that God loves them and that their identity is rooted in Christ. Like the campfire story changes when Jesus is at the center versus when I'm at the center. That's what church is intended to be about. Okay, and so we we uh, we we saw there you know there's there's this liberty to the spiritually oppressed one. Go to verse thirty eight, four thirty eight, uh, and and Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother in law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. I love this. What happens, you know, so Jesus exercised authority over the spiritual realm, and now we see him exercising authority over the physical realm and, and healing Simon's mother-in-law. And, and immediately, what does she do? She rises and she begins to serve. And the word in Greek for that serve is diakone, which we get our word what? 
deacon from. She begins to get up and hands-on minister. That's her response. Now, notice that she's not getting up and ministering to people and to God and to Jesus, saying, if I just minister enough, Jesus is going to do something good for me. She is serving because Jesus has done something good for her. She, she's had this encounter with Jesus, and her, instant, her immediate response is to serve. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to want to serve. You're going to want to serve people. You're going to want to serve God. Uh, that's what happens. There's something in our hearts that wells up, and we have this desire to serve others tangibly um, as God does something in us. Now, in, in, in the next few verses, we, we read that lots of sick people get brought to Jesus, and and he heals them, and he's casting demons out. And then in verse 42, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And so Jesus has this rhythm of healthy withdrawal. You know, a lot of us withdraw in unhealthy ways, and we isolate ourselves from each other in exactly the time that we need each other the most. But, but there is a healthy withdrawal, and Jesus practices that. He's not just doing, doing, doing all the time. As we see, uh, as we see um, uh, Peter's mother-in-law Uh, Her doing is rooted in her being. Man, I am someone who's had this incredible encounter with Christ. And that who I am results in what I do. And, and, and some of us are over here on the being side, and we're on, maybe on the, and we're just, we just want to be, 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 but we don't want to do. And maybe we're off base there, okay? Because if we are, if we are in Christ, if we're rooted in Christ, you're, you're not going to be able to hold that in for, for long. Okay, but a lot of us are over here on the do side and we're so far over here on the do side that we forget about the B side and and we just run into and and we just do until we hit a wall. Anybody relate to that? And we hit a wall and we hit it hard and we feel ashamed and we feel like we've 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 made a big mess out of things and maybe we have maybe we burn out maybe we blow out. And our being and our doing, there's not really such a thing as somebody that's just a beer or just a doer. We're called to be both. And, and, and our, our, our doing is rooted in our being. Who you are in our being is going to result in doing. And, and so even Jesus withdraws in a healthy way to spend time with his Father, to be, to be. And your life needs that rhythm where you're every day spending time with him. But then there's times that you withdraw for, for a little longer period, just to be with him. And then out of that, your ministry is going to flow. He goes to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him. Man, Jesus, he tried to find a spot, and then everybody goes and finds him. And they would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The kingdom of God is, is this significant theme, the theme, really, of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, that Jesus came to announce that God's kingdom rule has come near. Jesus didn't come saying, one day God's going to be in charge. Jesus says, God rules. And you don't have to do life on your own. You don't have to live from your own gas tank anymore. You don't have to live from the reservoir of what you can produce. But you have access to all the resources of heaven. God's kingdom rule has broken into this world. And whenever, whether people are demon-possessed or, or sick or whatever they are, the gospel for them, as they have these gospel encounters with Jesus, they do not stay the same. And if we think we can have an encounter with Jesus and stay the same, we're wrong. Jesus preaches this life-transforming message that God is king here and now. And Jesus cleanses a leper in chapter 5, verse 12 
while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Not just an everyday leper. This guy is full of leprosy, riddled with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched. See, all of these instances are people that are separate from community because of their uncleanness. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus tells him not to tell anybody because Jesus isn't wanting everybody to know yet exactly who he is. And, and, and there's a story uh, uh, that, that I shared earlier. Um, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but, but I encountered a man in Sudan once. And, and every time I, I was in the market and every time I would see him, he, would, he was, would just wanted to talk to me, but I didn't understand him. And, and uh, I didn't have my wallet, I didn't have anything to give him. But every time he would just shake my hand and he'd just rub my hands in his hand. And finally, I noticed he's wearing this beanie and, 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 and there's all these flies around his beanie. And, 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 he, and he takes the beanie off and he's just rubbing his fingers through all his, his whole scalp is just riddled with pus and infection and there's no hair and it's pink and white and green. And he's just rubbing his fingers through it. And I immediately, like my eyes flash back to all the times, like he's been doing this to my hands. And I'm like, oh my goodness, did I touch my mouth? Have I touched my eyes? Like, am I gonna take some skin disease back to my, to my kids? And, and I'm just trying to like get away from this guy as quick as I can. And, and I keep meeting him. And, and, and it didn't even cross my mind until later that night, laying in my tent that I had something to offer him. And so as Jesus touches, the, like he reaches out and touches this leper. And he's breaking the rules when he does this because you're not supposed to do it because you would contract uncleanness. But Jesus is able to reach out and touch the leper because Jesus' health is stronger than the leper's sickness. Jesus isn't infected by the leper's sickness. The leper is infected by Jesus' health. And sometimes we forget that in the kingdom, not in you, as an individual, but because there is a kingdom and there is a king to that kingdom. There's no leprosy, there's no sin, there's no brokenness, there's no dirtiness that you've done that is so strong that Jesus' health and Jesus' blood and Jesus' goodness can't redeem and wash it and make it new. Amazing, beautiful. Um, and then Jesus calls Levi, verse 27, chapter 5, verse 27. Levi is unlike all these other people. Levi's a powerful guy. He's a tax collector, and he's been fleecing and scamming and oppressing people. He's not the oppressed, he's the oppressor. And he's been cooperating with the oppressors to take people's money. After this, he went out, uh, 527, and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him, and Levi made a great feast in his house. And who does Levi invite? All the messed up tax collectors that he knows. People that have just have just come to Jesus are the best evangelists. And somehow we lose that over time. Verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, it, 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 Levi, who, who becomes Matthew, his name becomes Matthew, uh, he looks different, but in reality, he's just as much a captive as the leper. He's just as much a captive as the sick woman. He's just as much a captive as the man with, with a demon. His captivity just looks a little different. People would have looked at him and saw somebody maybe successful or somebody, uh, somebody vicious, but they, they wouldn't have seen somebody that was needy. But Jesus sees his need. And so whether it's the sick one or the spiritually oppressed one or it's the sinful one, 
I mean, Levi could have had a lot of excuses not to get up and follow Jesus. Jesus, you don't know what I've done. And Levi just kind of had to get over himself and follow Jesus. The, the, the leper could have said, I'm not going to ask. I mean, look at who I am. So maybe we're here this morning and, 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 uh, and we've done stuff. And the gospel of the kingdom, the good news is Jesus is bigger than that. And maybe there's people in our lives and we're thinking, I don't know about, I don't know about that guy. I don't know about her. That's exactly who Jesus comes to tap on the shoulder. It's easy to forget that. Jesus preaches this life-transforming message that God is king here and now. As the band comes up, I just want to read to you from um, Come and See. This is by Todd Wagner. Come and See, a book that I highly, highly, highly recommend. Just a picture of what the church can be. And actually, I'm not going to read. I'm just going to kind of summarize. Towards the end of the book, uh, he, uh, he, gives a, he, t- he retells, actually, a, a parable that was written in 1953 about a, a, a mission, a rescue mission. It says, on a, on a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was this rescue mission that started up. And these people said, we want to be the people that go out and save and rescue the people that are, that, are, that are shipwrecked and they're dying out there in the waters. So they build this little hut, and they, they, at, at great risk to, their, to themselves, at great, at great risk to being harmed, they go out and they rescue people from the shipwrecks, and they bring them into shore, and they, they bring them to health. And over time, people really start to admire what this rescue mission is doing, and, and, and some donations start rolling in. And, and they, they say, you know what, we really need to build a nicer place for these shipwrecked people to come into. So they build some nicer facilities. And then, you know, the club members start hanging out there, you know, just, just to kind of get together and, and, uh, and, to, and to do their thing. And, and there's a big, massive shipwreck that happens, and all these wet, dirty, um, sickly people get brought into the clubhouse, and some people are not happy about that. And they say, well, we've got to build some showers and some huts outside so people can get cleaned up before they come in where the nice furniture is and, and all the nice stuff is. And, and, and finally, this keeps happening until they have a meeting and some people say, hey, life-saving rescue work is at, our, is at our core. And others say, no, we really are a place where we can get together and, and just enjoy our time together. And, and the members, the club members win out and these few that really value life-saving, they go out and they start their own rescue mission. But it goes through the same life cycle. Eventually it becomes a club for insiders and people stop going out and risking their lives to, to rescue those shipwrecked. Um, as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Most of the people drown. Now, obviously, we, we know where that's going. It's easy to make church into a club. It's easy to make it about what do I want, what do I like. It's easy to make it about a place where, uh, you know, and I can hide my yuck and my dirtiness and my need. But we have this mission that Jesus models so beautifully in this passage. He goes to the broken one, the broken one that's sitting in the synagogue, 
the leper that's out there excluded from everybody else, the, the sick woman in her sick bed, the tax collector stuck in his sin at his tax booth. Jesus comes to you and me while we were sinners. Christ died for us. And the mission that he has and that he embodies, he says, the Father, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Let's not forget what our mission is. Let's not forget that we exist not as a club for insiders, but as a rescue mission for outsiders. And people are shipwrecked all over this community, all over this county. Where's our focus going to be? So whatever your shipwreck is this morning, Jesus is bigger. He's bigger. The kingdom of God has come near. And whatever that shipwreck is in somebody else's life, he's bigger than that too.